let's just bow our heads and, and come to the Lord in prayer for what he has in store for us for today. Father, I thank you. I thank you for Silva's testimony. I thank you for what you have done in her life and, and through her testimony now in our lives. And Lord, just ask that you open our minds and our hearts right now to hear from your word and uh, to receive what it is that you are fulfilling in our day, in our midst. I bless you and I just ask, Lord, that you minister to each one of us where we are, where what we need, and that your goodness would just flow in our lives continually. In Jesus' name, amen. When, when we watch a baptism, uh, the obvious question is, why? Why would somebody jump into the tank and want to get wet and uh, do anything to do with that? Well, baptism, the Greek word itself, comes from the word washing. Washing. To be washed, sorry, to be washed or to be cleansed, to be purified, as it were. So what does that have to do with Christians? What does it have to do with someone who has experienced something of an encounter with God and is now at the place where they have made a decision? Why do we take them through and baptize them, get them all wet, get them to bring towels, change of clothes, do all of that. Why washing? Well, I, my hope today is it's a very basic message. For some of you, you're, you're going to probably think, well, uh, didn't he have anything serious to talk to us about? Well, I do. This is very serious. This is putting the entire journey of faith into context for us so we understand what it is that the Lord is doing in our lives. Uh, at some point in the sermon today, I'm going to ask you to get on uh, your device and just answer some uh, a question. It's going to have a really simple way to answer it. It's one through five. You pick one, and I'm, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So why washing? Why washing? Washing, we read in the New Testament, the first person that was a washer or a Baptist was John. John, the cousin of Jesus, second cousin of Jesus, who was going around the desert of Israel. And it's interesting that we think of it as a desert uh, because it doesn't talk about it as a desert. It talks about it as the wilderness. In our minds, when we think of that region, when we think of wilderness, we think of sand and barrenness. Well, that may or may not be the case, because what we do know is that the shepherds would take their flocks to the desert for feeding. So if you do the math, it doesn't make sense that the desert would just be sand. And the reality is, back in the day, that desert was actually very fruitful. You want evidence of that? Just uh, look at the story of Lot and Abraham and how Abraham picked the portion of the land in Jordan, because it reminds him of Eden and the land of Egypt, which was very fertile. Uh, think of uh, Exodus when they were in the wilderness and God 
the, invites Moses up to the mountain to encounter uh, with Moses. And he says, not even the animals should come and graze at the foot of the mountain. If it is all sand, what are they going to graze on? Anyway, just throwing that as a bonus here today to help you open your mind to what is our traditional understanding of things and what is the biblical understanding of things. So why washing? Washing has been used in transitions. In the Hebrew uh, tradition, when a wife or a bride is about to get married, she goes through what's called a mikvah. She goes to a bath that is a ritual bath where she goes through and disrobes and enters into this bathtub with her family there, her female members of the family there, and they wash, she washes herself and she prepares herself and they adorn her with different uh, scents and different oils, similar to what happened with uh, Esther when she was in Babylon and she was being prepared to meet the king. So this process is actually called a mikvah, but it is a baptism. It is a ritual washing. So when John was going through the wilderness, speaking and preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near, people would come in and actually go through that transition period that in their lives they would go through a washing as though ending the past season and entering into a new season. And the, the season that they were entering into was a new season. Uh, they were coming into uh, a, a change, and it was not just washing for the sake of washing, but it was washing for the sake of belonging. They were now belonging to something different. Uh, the bride was now belonging to a new family, a new household. She was born into her father's and mother's household. She belonged to that family. And now, and I'm not talking like belonging as in property. You know, my phone belongs to me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about relational belonging, being a part of something where now she now belongs to a new family and she becomes part of that new family. So when John was preaching, the kingdom of God is near, repent, people were repenting from old mindsets, from old traditions, sin, it was a baptism of repentance, Jesus called it. And they were coming now into a fresh relationship with God because of their repentance. So now they were belonging, as it were. Belonging to what? At that time, it was belonging to the covenant all over again. It was the covenant of Abraham, and they were coming back to it and saying, I put, on all, I put off all those old things, and I come into that in repentance because I want to be part of that kingdom. It was the covenant community of God, Israel. So Jesus comes along, and now he tells his people to do the same. Actually, he does the same. And John says, wait a minute, you're not going to be baptized by me. You already are the one that we are baptizing people to belong to. You're that bridegroom that these individuals are being baptized to belong with and to. How can I baptize you? And he says to him, do it, John, 
so that all righteousness would be fulfilled. What does that mean? Do it, baptize me, and see what happens, because I am here not as the Son of God only, but I am here as the Son of Abraham, the Son of David, the Son of Man. I'm here as a human coming into that place where now I represent humanity in belonging with the kingdom of God, with God himself. So baptize me. And he does. And the Holy Spirit comes up down in the form of a dove and it just lights on his head. And the voice of God the Father from heaven echoes and blares and says, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And Jesus starts his ministry. He belonged to the kingdom. He was the fullness of the kingdom. He belonged to the Father. He belonged to the family. So when we say belong, belong to what? What are we belonging to when we are being baptized? In the example of Jesus, we are belonging to Christ. We are belonging to the Messiah. We are belonging by baptism. Not only are we confessing it, but we're actually transitioning and making that shift that I was born in human flesh, but now I'm being baptized and joined into a heavenly family, into a new family. I'm being baptized to the, I'm being belonging, by being baptized, I'm belonging to his family. There's different names for his family. One of the names is his body. I actually become a member of his body by being baptized. Another name for it is his church. So I'm being baptized into his church. Belonging, baptism, is an expression of my now belonging to a new family, a new family whose head is the Father God himself, Jesus Christ as the head, in each of us being fitted as members of this body. Some of us are little tiny knuckle. Some of us are this end of the hand. Some of us are this eyebrow. Some of us are the mouth. Some of us are the ear. Some of us are the toe. All of us belong to the body of Christ. We are being fitted together into this glorious body, which isn't just a body. There are different metaphors the Bible uses for the church. What are some of these metaphors? What is the church? The, there's four that are very distinctly talked about. The body. The body is a beautiful example because it has one blood my whole body is nourished through one blood. The blood that is flowing through my veins doesn't have different colors in different parts of me. It goes through different organs. It gets uh, oxygenated. It comes back and it nourishes the brain. It nourishes the legs. It nourishes the muscles. It is one blood that nourishes all of us, that brings us into one thing. There is lungs that take in air, but it's not for their sake. It's so that the blood that is pumping through the heart, who's pumping not for its own sake, but is receiving the blood that is flowing and now going through the lung, it gets rid of the old oxygenated, now carbon dioxide, and it brings in the new fresh oxygen that now sends nourishment. And then the stomach, you know, earlier today I had a chocolate and my coffee cup and I said, hey, my breakfast. That piece of chocolate has been chewed by my teeth. 
no benefit to them. My tongue enjoyed it. My taste buds loved it. And then it went down my throat into my stomach. And now my stomach is still working on it, doing what it needs to do to break down that chocolate, that sugar, that milk, all of those ingredients so that they get absorbed by the bloodstream so they become energy for the rest of the body. The body is a great metaphor of how we all work together, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the others. That's one example, one metaphor, one way of understanding what we have been baptized into. The other is an organism. And you know, the body is not a business. Sometimes we think of church as a business. Get that out of your mind. It's a body. Sometimes we think of church as an organization where it has to have all the different parts of an organization. And, you know, it's true that it, the church is organized, but it's an organism. If we think of it only as an organization, we miss the point. It is organized in the same way that a cell is organized. A cell has a membrane to protect its contents. It has a nucleus that has different things within it. The DNA that it protects and that causes it to multiply. It has something called the mitochondria. I don't know if you remember your biology. Yeah, Shole, I'm sorry. <laughs> it has this little thing that looks weird. And it has all these things that are going on in this element of the cell. How is that? This component of the cell. And this component called the mitochondria is the engine that generates energy and it causes the cell to be productive. It has all kinds of other things, mRNA and DNA and etc. But it's an organized organism. It multiplies, it reproduces, it grows, it dies, it has health. And the church is the same way. It's an organism. It's also a family. We celebrated Silva's baptism. She confesses that she is a member of the family of God through her baptism. Today, we're going to have another baptism where the person that's going to be baptized is going to give their testimony, how they were born into the family of God. And the family is not chaotic either. You know, we say it's not an organization, it's an organism, but it has order. The body has order. There is muscle, skeleton, veins, all of these things. So the family, it has order. There are parents and there are children and there's older children and there's grandparents. I'm looking around the room here today. I see Silva's parents and they're not only parents, but they were also a son and a daughter to their parents. And now it's their turn. And they have become parents to Silva and her brothers. And then Silva got married. And then Silva and I had kids. And they became grandparents. And now one of those kids that we had has had a child. And now they are great, great, excuse me, great grandparents. Yeah, they are great uh, in the sense that they are wonderful. They are great, great grandparents. But you see what I'm getting at. Anon Avo. They had their daughters, they got married, now they have got grandchildren. Those children grow up and there's order in the family. That's not to say that one is supposed to rule it over them. Look at Anno and Avo sitting there. 
Marel and Sammy and Lara and Patrick, they're not, Anno and Avo are not controlling them. They don't go around telling them how they have to do things or how they have to rule their kids or raise their kids, excuse me, right? You guys have total freedom to do what you want, right? Guys, nod for me or give me a thumbs up, the, the, the parents. Yeah, you are your own family and your kids. I heard something the other day that made me wonder, uh, do you ever fight with your kids? And, uh, you know, I don't know if you consider that a good thing or a bad thing, but if you've never said no to your kids, you probably have never fought with your kids. But the minute that you say no to your kids, you have an argument on your hand. I, I hope that wasn't uh, Patrick spraying his drink out. But as soon as you say no to the kids, you have a situation where you're going to have an argument. And that's the same in the church. When a no is said, there's a situation for a conflict and an argument. And that's the family in the church. We grow together in that. And no is not a bad thing. And no is an area that we can grow in and multiply our strength together in. The church is a body, it's an organism, it's a family, but it's also a flock. There is a shepherd, and the shepherd leads us beside still waters. He gives us an opportunity to rest and relax. He takes us, the flock, to the place of, in, in the wilderness where he feeds us. He protects us from the evil one. Read Psalm 23. You'll be blown away at the characteristics of the good shepherd. And just like in the family, there are fathers and mothers and parents within the flock of God. He has given some to be shepherds. He has given some in Ephesians 4. We read about the fivefold, but I'm talking about the ones that are now leading the flock forward. Call them whatever one you want from the fivefold. They're the shepherds of the flock. So what happens in this mix? How do we learn about the church we're baptized into? You know, when you join a new club, you want to know the details of the club. Well, this isn't a club. This is a new life that you've entered into when you're baptized. So what are the elements? The church is very much prayed for, described, and explained in the Bible. It is prayed for by Jesus in John 17. If you have time this next few days, open up that chapter and read John 17 and read the kinds of things that Jesus prayed for his church, the things that Jesus prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for you and me. I don't have time to get into it today. I've preached it many times, John 17. He prays for us to be one. He prays for us to be protected by the Father from the evil one. And he prays that we would have the glory. That's a whole sermon in itself. The glory that God the Father gave Jesus, that you and me together would have that. I wonder, but that's a different conversation. It is demonstrated in Acts chapter 2. We see how the church functioned. In Acts chapter 2, you read about what happened on the first experience of the church 50 days after Jesus ascended to heaven. He told them to wait in Jerusalem because he was going to send them, the Father was going to send them the Holy Spirit. And they were going to be what? Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a different experience. 
That's why we prayed for Silva when she was being baptized, to be baptized not only in water, but in the Holy Spirit, to be washed on the outside by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit comes and fills us on the inside. And we're supposed to get that filling constantly, daily. And we're supposed to also get that washing, that baptism, so that we are empowered to be his witnesses. And when they got filled with the Holy Spirit, when Jesus breathed on them before he ascended, they waited in the upper room until the baptism of the Spirit came down and they were baptized and they had tongues of fire over their heads. And they spoke with different languages. And they got out in the street instead of hiding out of fear that they would get persecuted like Jesus. They went out into the street and they spoke of the things that Jesus had done in the kingdom of God and they had a different power. Do you feel release wherever you are to be a witness of Jesus like those disciples? Or does fear grip you and evangelism is a bad word and a scary word? Sharing and, and, and opening your heart to others to share your testimony. That's Acts chapter 2. It tells us what happened. And at the end of Peter's preaching, wow, thousands were saved and were baptized in one day. Our experience right now isn't quite that. We're baptizing one at a time because COVID doesn't allow us to put two more people in the tank. So we have to wait after each baptism, cleanse the baptismal tank, and then refill it and go back and have the building cleansed. It's chaos. But that's all going to be behind us soon. And then it's also now explained. It is prayed for. It is demonstrated. Prayed for in John 17, demonstrated in Acts 2. And it's now explained to us by Paul in Ephesians 4, where he talks about how it is to be structured. What does it look like? What does this church structure look like? I told you the organism. I told you the cell the nucleus, the mitochondria, and I sort of made Sholei wonder what to say. But it is organized, and he gives us the elements of that organization. He says that God, Jesus, gave the church organization. He gave it apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints, just like the heart pumps the blood to the rest of the organs, just like the stomach digests the food, so, and the lungs pick up the oxygen. These fivefold, we call them fivefold, these five characteristics of Jesus within the leadership of the church is not there to do the work, but it's there to equip and send the oxygen and the nutrients to the different parts of the church body to do the work. So what is the work? What is the work of the church that all of these people, these descriptions are all about? The work of the church is described to us very clearly in two things. Now pay attention. These two things are both called great. They're not called great in the Bible. One of them is, this man comes to Jesus and says to him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus explained to him. And then later on, at the end of his days on earth, Jesus releases the great, not only commandment, but the great commission to his disciples. What to do? The job of the church 
why the church exists on earth. Now, out of these two things, the great commandment, you know what the great commandment is, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your being. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. Okay? Now, the great commission is go therefore into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them all things that I have commanded you, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, did you hear those? Let me repeat them. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to verbs now, okay? Listen for the verbs, action words. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Go and make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And there's another one that sneaks in here. Baptize them in the name of the Father. So why baptism? Was my question at the beginning. But it's right there in these five verbs of the greatest commandment and the greatest commission. Let me list them so that you can see them with your eyes. The first one, the five verbs, is love God. You know, on the Acts website, before it became part of City River, I don't know if it's still active or not, but the Acts website was to love God and love others. That was right there, in the, in the, right on their website. Love God, the first commandment, love God. The second one, the second verb is love your neighbor. The third verb is go and make disciples. The third one, teach them to do everything that I have commanded you to do. What did he command them to do? What was the great commandment? <laughs> love God and love your neighbor. You know, those lists of things to do? First thing, rule number one. And then rule number two, it says, rule number one. This is the same thing. This is saying verb number one, verb number two. They're both about love. Love God and love your neighbor. The fourth one says rule number one. Love God and love your neighbor. All things that I've commanded you are in that. And then the fifth one is baptize them. So let me put it into Christianese. And I'm sorry that we use Christian language that's sometimes different than what the rest of the population around us uses. But I'll put it into language that will make sense. Okay, so these five you've understood, right? Give me a thumbs up if these five are clear to you. Okay, so what are the five verbs now in Christian language? Number one, it's worship. Love God is worship. And worship, by the way, is not the first 36 or 37 minutes before we get to the service or the sermon. Worship is not when Sujin or Aaron or Sarah or Susanna or whoever the worship team happens to be in fullness is when they're leading us in music. That's just musical worship. Worship doesn't stop when we get to what used to be the announcements or the offering or the sermon or the prayer or the Bible reading. Worship is all of that which makes our heart focus on God and raise his name higher. By the way, did you know that there is no such thing as Christian music? There's only Christian lyrics. 
As a matter of fact, during the revival days in the early 1900s and the late 1800s, they would take the bar songs that they would sing in the bar and get drunk and rewrite the lyrics as worship to God. And those would be the songs that they sang in the church because they already knew the melody. So worship is not just music. It's giving God his worth, making him central in my and your life. That's worship. And then the second is service. Remember what the second one was? Love God, love your neighbor. Find a way to help somebody else. Meet the needs of your neighbor. Love them in a practical way. Make a soup for them when they're sick. Bake a loaf of bread. Make some effort to show someone that you care. Minister to them. And by the way, this was all in Luke chapter 10. Go and speak peace to your neighbors. Fellowship with them. Eat their food. Minister to them. Heal their sick. And then tell them the gospel is here. So the, the, the second point, loving our neighbor, is expressed in ministry. And I realize it's difficult through COVID to express your love for your neighbors through a ministry. The church has collapsed in terms of ministry output. You only see a few of us minister, but I guarantee you, you are active and you are serving and you are ministering and you are able to reach others better than the church used to in the past. Because now we're each in our own sphere able to show love to those around us. Keep going. Do it better. Do it stronger. Do it more frequently. The third one, go and make disciples, is evangelism. Share your testimony with others. Tell them why you are a child of God. Help them come to be a disciples. It starts with going. It starts with you making an intention. It may not be going and knocking on someone's door. It may be just coming before the Lord in prayer. Pray for them for an opportunity that you can share what you believe and why you believe it. That's where it starts. The fourth point, teaching them all that I have commanded you, is the process of discipleship. This Sunday morning is a very poor expression of discipleship. Yes, we preach and we give you good things in our sermons. We try hard. We try to bring you more food and, and teach you the things that we have ourselves learned and lived. But there's a lot more to it. And I really pray that God would give us a, a heart amongst all of us to throw ourselves into more discipleship, that we look more and more like him together. And then the last one, the baptism, is really about fellowship. And that's what belonging is. So Anno, I know Silva is not part of this congregation, but she's part of your family. And you maintain fellowship with her. You pray with her on the phone. You pray with her on Zoom. You maintain fellowship. It doesn't necessarily mean that she has to be here for her to be in fellowship with the body of Christ. So you have, just like, you know, an octopus, each of us has branches that stick out in different directions. And we touch people and we fellowship with people. Don't look at the numbers on the screen only. But think of all those channels that you have the ability to reach. And those people that you reach through WhatsApp, through Telegram, through Facebook Messenger, whichever way. We have such a network of reach 
within our circle here at City River. Start asking God to show you how to use that in effective ways without being, you know, obnoxious about it, but being gentle-hearted and being kind and showing mercy and doing these five things that are the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. How we can serve people, how we can worship God. So here, just before I wrap up, I have a temperature gauge that I'm going to, excuse me, that I'm going to ask you to take part in. I told you I was going to share this poll earlier, so now is the opportunity. So turn on uh, your fingers and get ready. It's on a scale of, oops, it's on a scale of one through five that you have to rate these things. Ready? Are you ready? There it is. It's gone. On a scale of one to five, rate yourself today. Where are you on January 23rd, 2022, in relation to worship, serving or ministering, in relation to evangelism, in relation to discipleship, and fellowship. My heart's desire is to see each one of us look more like Christ in all that we are. Christ was five on all of these. He worshipped God to the full. He served people left and right. He was speaking the kingdom gospel everywhere he went. He taught and he was being discipled by the Father. He learned obedience, as said, by the Father. And he also spent time with his disciples in fellowship. So my prayer for each one of us is that we would grow in Christ-likeness, in fullness. That in each one of these areas, we would look more and more like Christ. That we would become truly disciples in the same way that he has trained up his own. And as we do that, we will see more and more baptisms, more and more people ready to jump into the water and get washed and get belong, step into that relationship with God through his church. God bless you.